Welcome to Beyond the Show, the podcast home of all things Cannabis Conference. My name is Eric Sandy, and I'm the digital editor of the Cannabis Group at GIE Media. Last month, as you may have seen, GTI announced that it had partnered with Circle K to open co-located dispensaries, branded as Rise Express, alongside Circle K gas stations in Florida. The news swept across the U.S. news media with the implication that this was something new for the industry, some new chapter in the evolving dynamics of commercial cannabis. And yet, in Portland, Maine, a small, vertically integrated business has been operating a co-located dispensary and gas station since late 2018. Atlantic Farms boasts a robust lineup of cannabis products from caregivers around Maine, along with six gas pumps outside, making it a terrific platform for A, normalizing the industry for consumers of all stripes, and B, showcasing the talents of a grassroots cannabis community in a state where medical cannabis has been legal since 1999. The step toward medical cannabis storefronts, which was led by Atlantic Farms to some degree, at least in Portland, allowed for a more nuanced and personal touch behind each transaction with patients. And so, on this episode, we're pleased to present Jackson McLeod, the CEO of Atlantic Farms in Portland, Maine. Jackson's background includes studies at the University of Maine and the University of Vermont, as well as his work as a mechanical engineer for a southern Maine engineering firm, where he designed automated manufacturing systems. Along with his engineering experience, Jackson is also an experienced horticulturalist who has been growing backyard gardens and hydroponic produce for years. These talents and professional experiences come together at Atlantic Farms. While pursuing a degree in mechanical engineering at the University of Maine, Jackson began to experiment with hydroponic food production and began to develop a passion for sustainable food models. With a BS in mechanical engineering, Jackson has pursued a professional career in industrial manufacturing automation, and this experience has provided great insight into system design, product development, and project management. So please enjoy my conversation with Jackson McLeod. Well, hello, Jackson, and thanks so much for joining the show this week. Very glad to get a chance to talk with you about Atlantic Farms and your work up in Maine, as well as some broader news and trends that may be emerging elsewhere in the U.S. cannabis industry these days here in late 2022. Um, to begin, maybe before we get into some of those specifics, I was hoping that you could maybe set the stage and provide a bit of backstory or even the origin story of Atlantic Farms up in Maine, just for the audience. Sure, yeah, so uh, it really started with the uh, medical program here, and in Maine there is a caregiver program where you're able to um, grow and uh, sell to five individuals. And uh, myself and another partner were doing that, and we saw the opportunity to continue uh, expanding upon that with legal full uh, adult use legalization. And we partnered with a few other friends, and originally we're looking in uh, Massachusetts to um, get some licensing online down there, uh, as Mass was moving forward a lot faster than Maine. Um, and through that process, um, or during that time, uh, Maine actually changed their uh, medical laws. So as a caregiver, you used to only be able to sell to five uh, patients. Um, but then in 2018, they changed the, the rules um, so that you could have storefronts and unlimited patients. And the way they enacted that was through a, a legislative session that got dragged out for almost a year. 
and it didn't get implemented until after the legislative session was done. Um, so we, we knew that this opportunity was coming as we were looking for licensing and trying to build something in, in, in Massachusetts. Uh, we're like, well, you should just look here because uh, we all live in or we're all living here in Portland. And uh, we're like, let's take let's look at this opportunity to open a caregiver retail store. And that's how we, we were just looking at properties around Portland and found the gas station. And um, we decided to move forward with that opportunity and set it up to launch the, the day the day that um, retail sales were allowed by caregivers that we would be open. And so we spent the summer of 2018 uh, setting that up and then launched it in December 2018. And it really just took over. It became very much the center of everything we were doing and um, has ha has been since. Fantastic. Yeah, I know, um, you know, in that, you know, licensing, in that pursuit of licensing in, in most states, that acquisition of real estate is such a crucial part of, of the application process, uh, both in the local level and at the state regulatory approval level. Um, and, uh, and there's all sorts of rules that govern that. And, and I guess that varies by state, of course. But I'm curious, as, you're, as you were looking for a property at the time, um, I'd imagine that a lot of business teams might maybe take note of a gas station and sort of just move on and go down the street and, and look for other properties. Uh, what what uh, caused you and your team to, to sort of pause there and, and look at that as, as a serious option for a uh, uh, you know, storefront for cannabis? Um, I would say just a, a major differentiator for us. Uh, and we, from the beginning, we really wanted to normalize the cannabis shopping experience. And it either options that we had seen executed so far were either like uh, a glorified head shop and or uh, an Apple store. So it was like these two ends of the spectrum that um, people were operating. And we saw the opportunity to use a gas station as a, a space that's very open and welcoming to anybody who wants to come in. And still at that time, there had been no retail sales in Maine. So there's most consumers were, were um, hesitant to step into any retail. And so the gas station just represented a space that was open to everybody. Yeah, I'm curious, just in terms of the specifics here, um, are these like co-located businesses, meaning cannabis and, and gas, or are you and your team operating both of those businesses as one, if that makes sense? So uh, as a consumer, it's essential. it feels like one business, but uh, the businesses are operated separately. The, the, the gas and filling is a different business than the, the dispensary, but as far as like coming into the dispensary and paying for your gas, it all feels like one experience. Yeah. I was going to say, of course, cannabis has plenty of its own ups and downs and is a complicated industry in its own right. But just as a, an aside here, I guess, uh, I feel like this year has been really crazy for the fuel industry, too. Uh, yes. uh, I mean, is that sort of a juggling act sometimes in terms of uh, managing, you know, with your left hand and your right hand uh, and making sure each business is, is operating smoothly? So we don't operate the gas side of it. Our landlord does. And mm -hmm. it's the that we have uh he we we tend the gas station and um service all the gas customers uh but we do not manage that side of the business okay 
do you find, and I'm sure there's of course gotta be customer crossover, but how does that work? Meaning do a lot of folks, are they coming to Atlantic Farms first as the potential cannabis customers or are they coming, getting gas and maybe finding their way into the cannabis market as a potentially new cannabis customer? Uh, it's a mix of both. Uh, at the beginning, before there was any real cannabis retail stores in Maine, um, there, there were only these caregiver storefronts um, and or a few dispensaries. I think there was four dispensaries in the state. We had a lot of people that would come in um, for fuel and not have any clue that it was a dispensary and uh they walk in and they could smell it and they're like what's going on here and uh it was kind of amazing to see people that were non-cannabis users who started to use cbd products because at the gas station counter we were selling a wide variety of uh cbd products that were made all made by uh main um purveyors uh and it was cool to see blue collar workers who never use cannabis but uh, started using CBD tinctures or solves and saw a lot of relief and then just started like repeat, keep coming back in. Um, and so at the beginning, there was a lot more gas customers that had no idea what was going on. But as time's gone on, we're certainly sought out as a cannabis uh, dispensary. Yeah, it seems like, and of course, here we are four years later that, you know, you mentioned the words differentiator, uh, normalization, that, that those things have kind of come to pass, at least to some degree. Oh, um, yeah. Right in front of our eyes. Like <laughs> when we first opened, um, like there'd be a little bit, of, there'd be a line when we first opened and everybody, you could sense that there was some anxiety around it and every, nobody was talking to each other and everybody's like looking over their shoulder and they're like, you know, I used to buy weed at a gas station, but I was always in a parking lot from a guy that I called. I was going to meet there. And then yeah. so everybody's just like a little bit feeling it out as their first time uh, purchasing in a store. But like a month later, everybody like you could see the weight come off. They, everybody felt very comfortable. And all of a sudden they're like talking to the person next to them in line about like, oh, have you tried this strain? Or like, what do you think about this? And it was amazing to watch that stigma melt away. Um, and we could see it in these in customers who are, you know, they had been either dealing with a caregiver who they would call and meet up in a parking lot somewhere to get their product. Um, and nobody had a lot of this uh, retail experience. So to see the stigma melt away uh, first person was, was pretty amazing. Yeah, I'm curious. Uh, consumers are, of course, one thing and, and an important part of this conversation. But I'm curious if you've gotten any feedback along those lines from state or local regulators. Meaning, um, is this a, potentially a model that um, that could take hold elsewhere in Maine or, or in other states, of course? Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, and I guess I don't hear it from the, the regulators. They've come and inspected us and stuff. And uh, they, I, don't know. I, I see it more in other um, business owners who see the potential in it and, and have implemented it. And uh, yeah. I think there is one or two other, there is another gas station in Maine uh, that, but none of them are set up the way that ours are, where the dispensary is actually inside of the gas station. It's usually like um, how they set up agency liquor stores where it's like a second, it's on a side and there's not the same entrance and it's, it's uh, physically separated. Yeah. Well, I know, um, of course, uh, 
you know, last week at this point, um, one of the big news stories that kind of went a little crazy or viral or whatever the word might be in like the mainstream news media was this deal between GTI and Circle K down in Florida, GTI being an MSO, Circle K being an international, uh, essentially gas station convenience store brand. Um, and again, this just, I mean, kind of just took off uh, on, on major news networks. I, what was your, I don't know if you had an initial reaction to that story. Um, and I only ask that because a lot of these stories were kind of making it out as though this is a, a great leap forward. Uh, yeah. that, you know, you can finally buy cannabis at a gas station. Um, what were some of your initial reactions when that when those headlines were coming up? Well, I guess that, you know, it's already been done before. Um, and it, it, it is a good model. It, it seems to work. There's another group in, uh, I think it's Colorado Springs that uh, was ahead of us. Um, I forget the name of the company, um, Colorado Cannabis Brand, that had a gas station uh, and then an attached dispensary, uh, medical dispensary to it um, that was open before we were. Uh, so again, you know, on, on social media, when that did come out, everybody was like tagging us like, oh, bro, this this has already happened four years ago. <laughs> uh, so uh, I'd say that that was our initial reaction. That you know it's already happened. Um, yeah, I mean, it just it seems like um, again, I keep going back to that word normalization in my head. Just because I, like anyone else, I've sort of drifted off into predictions of the future and, and what the commercial cannabis landscape might look like in a few years between advertising. Um, you know, major corporations coming into the space, uh, non-cannabis dollars coming in. And it really just seems to me like this does make a lot of sense and that what you guys are doing is a model for, for other states. Um, you know, I guess, what are some ways that your goals have evolved over the years? Um, or, or maybe what are you guys up to at the end of 2022, going into 2023 to, to continue the business and to grow it? Uh, well, I guess I just wanted to touch back on on, on the, the the news of it happening um recently and in our current model um so the way we're able to launch atlantic farms is through through the care all the caregivers in the state of maine there were over like three thousand uh caregivers um and the way that maine set it up is that still you, you could have a retail storefront where you're only allowed to grow 30 plants uh flowering plants at a time so our model for uh, running the gas station dispensary was to sort and still is to source product from um, tens, if not a hundred hundreds of uh, vendors over the last four years. So we always have this like rotating deli style menu and featuring growers from uh, around the state. Uh, and we've, and it, we've gotten a lot of traction because there is so much quality work that's happening in Maine as far as like craft producers and we've been able to highlight all of those producers. We do events uh, we call uh, Jar Takeover, where we um, feature one uh, grower and then have them come in and, and meet with the consumer. Uh, and that's been a huge uh, part of our model. Um, and I, I guess looking at the big MSOs um, and, and large corporate entities, uh, that is a major differentiator or, or, or difference between our model and what I would assume would happen with these other ventures, um, where it would just, I would be concerned that it would uh, kind of sterilize uh, some of the culture around cannabis that we've really featured at the gas station. Um, 
I think that would be a big difference uh, in, in how we're operating and how I could I would imagine these other entities would be setting it up. Yeah, I, I mean, it brings to mind totally separate. Uh, I was just recently looking at the number of caregivers in Michigan's cannabis market. Again, totally different here. But those numbers are declining over the years. And same with patient numbers as the adult use market kind of takes off. Are you seeing similar things in, in Maine and just in terms of the numbers of, of um, not, on patient, not on the patient side, but uh, as far as the producers, it is starting to be reduced. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is that, um, I guess, is that sort of a product of almost market attrition just as, as things are going on? Or, or what are you hearing from, from the growers who are supplying product? To uh, over, I'd say an oversupply um, for the demand that's there on the, on the medical market. In general, I'm curious, just because a lot of listeners, uh, of course, don't live in Maine, um, what are some of the maybe broader sales trends in Maine? Uh, of course, we're talking about, uh, on some level, a fairly legacy market that sometimes doesn't get mentioned in the same breath as Colorado or Washington, but, but Maine has quite the cannabis culture. What sort of uh, product categories or even genetics have been uh, taking off uh, this past six months or so? Well, I'd say as far as product categories, it's it's the trend that's a, across the uh, the nation. Really, is a, a move away from flour into um, edibles, drinks, vapes that that nature. And we've seen that through our sales over the years, where it's less and less back flour, more pre rolls, more uh, stuff that's more like easily consumed. Um, we've seen that trend certainly. Um, as far as genetics go. Um, it's interesting to see, and maybe it's just our clientele, but there's a real demand for nostalgic strains, um, like the old school sour diesel or things people have experienced in the past that they'd like to relive um, and that desire for um, older strains. Um, certainly there is the popular strains that come through and, and hit the market and, and then kind of fade out. And we see some demand for that. And there's plenty of growers in Maine that are... Um, following those trends and have those products. Uh, and then there's a few uh, producers or growers that are working, trying to work with older school genetics. And it's just interesting to see our consumer base uh, resonate with, with that. And I don't know if it's like a nostalgic thing or an experience they've had in the past, but a lot of people come in and they're like, oh, you have this strain. Like I smoked it so many years ago. And uh, it's funny to see the, the nostalgic aspect of that. Goodness. Yeah. I mean, my assumption would be that a, a broad caregiver model would lend itself to, you know, being able to maintain a lot of those older strains rather than a more limited market where you're kind of chasing the, the flavor of the day. Um, and again, not to keep bringing up Michigan, I was just looking at numbers earlier, but that seems to be the case over in that state as well. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I'm wondering if it's more on the, uh, the the medical side that people are desiring those older strains than the adult use side. It kind of seems like it. And again, that might be a product of just how the regulations are set up, meaning um, by and large, it's it's lice or registered patients who have access to those caregivers in Michigan, whereas the adult use customers, um, I mean, some of those genetics might make their way into the adult use market, um, but but not all of them, certainly. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's just interesting that the caregiver model, it, it also taps into um, what I might consider like a much older cannabis culture. That's something that's almost more uh, 
harder to pin down, less about business. And I guess this goes back to, again, the, the differentiator word that you mentioned, the normalization word. I mean, across the industry, you're seeing uh, people making efforts to normalize cannabis, and it's just also just happening naturally. Um, but it does seem like, you know, a local, a local business like yours with a gas station and sort of that community feel of a, of a store like that just lends itself really well to, to those trends. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, we've done, uh, continue to do well with it and, yeah. uh, featuring a, continuing to feature growers from around the state. For sure. Um, well, lastly, uh, any, uh, advice. Now, I know we're kind of talking about a very specific case here in a, in a specific state in Maine, um, but any advice for, for prospective businesses that, that might want to pursue some sort of co-located dispensary, um, whether that's uh, in New England or even elsewhere? I'm thinking mainly of, of small businesses here and ways that they might work with regulators. Any, any lessons learned, I suppose? Well, I would say that we were fortunate to um, to execute it early before that there was a lot of uh, regulatory framework in place. Um, we got, actually got in before a moratorium went in in Portland, um, and we knew all that stuff was happening. Um, and we were fortunate to get in and became um, somewhat of. Of a, a model of how to do it because we uh, executed the brand new uh, caregiver retail model uh, right off the jump. Um, and it wasn't that difficult because there wasn't a ton of regulatory framework, but that has continued to evolve and we've had to adapt. Um, there's now uh, a lot more um, they're at the local level um, ordinance that defines on how everything needs, needs to work and what we need to be compliant to. And at the state level, um, they have become uh, more defined on, on how we need to operate. Uh, and fortunately, we were able to adapt to those things as we were going. But I'd say if you're starting from scratch now, really understanding the local ordinance, um, the requirements that need to be met there, and then also at the, the state level, and just being prepared for them to change pretty consistently um, and, and adapt to those. No doubt about that. Um, well, Jackson, uh, certainly appreciate the time here today. It was great getting to, to talk with you about Atlantic Farms and, and some of these uh, broader trends, uh, both in Maine and elsewhere. Um, definitely appreciate the insights here. Yeah. Well, thank you, Eric. And that's a wrap on another episode of Beyond the Show. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Jackson McLeod of Atlantic Farms up in Maine. I know I did. Uh, like I kind of was saying in the interview there, it's it's been particularly interesting for me to look at caregiver models and caregiver bases in states around the country, just to see not only where the market is coming from, but also just, you know, the roots of, of caregivers in the U.S. It's such a critical part of the licensed cannabis industry. I know I mentioned Maine in the interview, of course, Michigan. Um, but there are other states that have these caregiver models as well, and I think they're worth watching. And, uh, of course, the gas station news hook was uh, sort of what pushed us to to look at Atlantic Farms and, and bring them on the show. So very thankful to Jackson and to the full team for, for joining us for that interview and shining some light on what Atlantic Farms is up to up in Maine. But again, we'll be here as we get into the holiday season. We've got a lot of activities planned for the end of the 
year, and we'll be continuing beyond the show with plenty more interviews as we get into Cannabis Conference 2023 planning. So stay tuned for all that. Thank you.